just give you guys a heads up as uh, we're getting ready to, to jump into um, our new sermon series this morning. Uh, just in case you're wondering, I have, um, since the county has uh, changed that uh, order that we have to wear masks indoors now, uh, we have adjusted the service. So um, I am going to try to go quickly in the sermon. I've abbreviated the sermon. We're going to keep adjusting to figure out what it's like to gather with masks on because I don't know how long they'll make us do that. I've never actually had to do a church service where we all had to wear masks. So what that means for us is we're going to learn as we go on this. And if things don't work, we'll tweak it. All right. And also just so you know, if you, if you can't breathe in your mask, you need to get a breather. It, it, it's okay. I don't want you, I don't want you dying there. Uh, just because it's your mouth is sweating and everything. So we're going to try to be as gracious with one another as we try to figure this out. Also, uh, for, if you're visiting today, I, I want to repeat what Josh said. I would love to get a chance to meet you. I'll be down front after the service. And also, we're not passing an offering plate because we don't want to pass germs. So those boxes are in the back, or you can give online at nflchurch.com forward slash guest. Those are all my announcements for this morning because I have to make those every single week. Uh, Today we're starting a new series. Uh, we're pulling out of Philippians again, and uh, we're starting a series on the justice of God. Now, now listen, there, there's not a lot of good news these days, right? Maybe there's never good news. I, I can't remember a time where watching the news was a fun experience. Uh, but when I was a kid, when I thought about the year 2020, I thought we would have hoverboards and flying cars and space travel for everyone. Um, I thought there'd be time travel. And we know for a fact that time ta- travel will never exist because no one's come back in time to warn us about 2020. Um, and here's how it started for us. At the beginning of the year, feels like a decade ago, I don't know if you remember this news story, Kobe Bryant passed away. Y'all remember that? Realize how quickly that gets pushed to the background, a significant event in our culture was the the death of Kobe Bryant. Then in February 23rd, um, well, then shortly after that, the pandemic came, and it forced our entire world and country to kind of hit pause. And you almost wonder what God's doing in that, right? That, That we all basically almost come to a grinding halt, and it's almost like God's putting us in time out. So I need you to sit there and listen. You, you, need, you need to pay attention. And then all of a sudden, things like Ahmad Arbery was shot and killed by two men. The video goes viral on May 5th. And here we are, been sitting in time out for a couple weeks, and then we see that. Then several weeks later, it's George Floyd in Minneapolis on May 25th. For nine minutes, a police officer put his knee on the throat of George Floyd, and he died. He was murdered by that man. And then the protests began, and they broke out in city after city, and some were peaceful, but some turned into riots and even looting. Cries to defund and abolish the police began. And our coronavirus timeout is all of a sudden leaving all of us stunned and frustrated and probably really raw about this topic right here. Uh, on top of that, I think that God's trying to make us wake up to some racial issues that have gone underground in our church. And the divide is much bigger than many of us have been willing to recognize or even admit. And to make it all worse, politicians are involved. And, and not the good kind. I mean the worst kind who are saying really stupid things. And, and on both sides, they're throwing gas on the fire. And in case you're wondering, no side is immune from making this worse. It, Everyone is doing it, and the news is spinning things, both sides of the news, plus Twitter and Facebook, 
the armpit of human thinking and rhetoric is in full swing. Uh, In case you're wondering, I'm not a big fan of what happens on Facebook and Twitter. But what happens on Facebook and Twitter is happening in many of our hearts and minds. But it gives us this pick of the toxic nature and the tension of this conversation. And we start hearing all these phrases about race and police and justice and systematic racism and oppression and white privilege and critical race theory and intersectionality and redlining and reparations and gentrification and incarceration. And many of you just got triggered by me even reading that list out loud to you. Why? Because this entire conversation is supercharged with emotion and agendas. That that we are all on edge as we begin to get into that thing. We all have all the conversations that we've been watching on YouTube and Facebook and on the news, every time we begin to enter into this topic, we have all the baggage of the foolishness happening around us. So it's almost impossible to have this conversation in a mature, calm way. It gets emotional very quickly. So why in the world would I dare to wait into this topic now? Shouldn't I wait for it to cool off? Um, Shouldn't I wait for this to be less toxic? Shouldn't I play it safe and not cause division in the church? Well, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to cause a fight. But I am saying this. The, the hottest topic in our culture right now and probably in our hearts and minds is the issue of race and justice that's happening in our country. And I guarantee that we have several different opinions sitting in this room. I do not believe that we are all on the same page on this. Um, I don't. Uh, If you believe that, man, maybe Twitter just deceived me into thinking something else. I I just don't believe we have the same opinions. And I don't believe that all of us have the right opinion. I'm not even sure that I have the right opinion on this. But the reason I'm wading into this is not to give you my opinion. The reason I'm I'm being crazy enough to wade into this, if there's ever a time that we need to know what the Word says... If there's ever time that we need to be trained on how to engage the controversial things of our, of our nation and our day, it needs to be now. We need to do it from the word. We need to be asking the question, what does God think and say about this? I don't care what CNN and Fox News say about justice. I don't care what you say about justice. We care about what God says about justice. And I, as a pastor, I have to wade in with care. And man, I need godly wisdom to guard my mouth and guide my thinking that I can show us what it looks like to look at the issues of the day and to take the word and say, God, we want to follow you. What do you say? What do we need to hear? What do we need to do in response to you? Right? Does that sound fair? And so my goal in this series, and I will not answer all the questions that you have. Listen, my goal in this series is not to answer every question that you have. My goal in this series is to answer the question that God would have us ask. It's for us to look at what the Word says, get a clear understanding of who God is and what He wants and how He thinks, and then use that as our filter to determine what we're seeing around us. Okay, Um, man, that's a big sales pitch for a sermon series. So I really better deliver for the next several weeks as we get into that. And by the way, I can't see you smile. So if you're cursing at me with your mask on, I can't see. So you get away with it right now. I can hear. So you can't say it out loud. Anyways, uh, today as I jump into that, I want to start in a different place. I want to start in a place you wouldn't think that I would start in. 
Because I think we already have enough rants. We already have enough tension and screaming and yelling. We, uh, we need to start in a place that doesn't feel depressed. And for me, I want to frame the entire topic of justice. I want to frame that entire topic with um, a weird place, worship. Now, why would I go there? Listen, if we're going to wade into the topic of justice, we wade in as followers of Jesus who, who rules the entire universe. We wade in with hope and the gospel. And that should change the way we wade into this topic. I don't want to wade into this topic with doom and woe and rants. I want to wade into this topic with worship and trust and faith in the kingship of God and the power of his gospel. And so that's where I'm starting today. So we're going to start with worship in Psalm chapter 146. If you wouldn't mind turning there, that's where we're going to be today, Psalm 146. And you're not going to know why I picked this psalm at first, but we will get there, Psalm 146. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to ask something. Can we turn, can you all see your Bibles well out there, or do I need to have them turn the lights up? Okay, I got thumbs up. If you can't see, um, I couldn't tell if it was too dark for you all out there. Um, I was, well, listen, we'll, we'll do that. That'll work. Thank you very much, Logan. I appreciate it. Go team, go. Uh, we're winging the lighting here. Here's what we got. Psalm 146. Let, let me read to you what this psalm says. And just stick with me because this will come back to justice. But just stick with me. Psalm 146 says this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Let me just hit pause. That very first phrase in there says, praise the Lord. It's actually in the Hebrew, it's a command. And it's, which for me is awesome. He's commanding everyone. He's saying everyone, listen, everyone, everyone listen to me. You need to praise the Lord. You need to bless God. You need to worship God. He's calling everyone to do it. But there's something else about this command that stands out. Now, Without boring you about too much details about the Hebrew language, this, the Hebrew language, this verb actually adds intensity to the verb. So in Hebrew, you have a verb, and then you have a verb that makes it more intense. So if the Hebrew word was break, when it's this form of the verb, it does not just break, it's to smash, right? So when he says, praise the Lord, he's using the intensive form of it. He's not saying, hey, praise God. He's like, listen, you need to intensely and passionately and repeatedly praise God. This is not dull. This is not boring. This is not heartless. This is passionate, right? There is no place in the Bible for dull, heartless, passionless worship. It doesn't exist. Actually, you probably know the word. It's hallelujah is what it is in Hebrew. It's this command to passionately, intensely worship God. But then he says this next part right there. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Same command, but now it's not turned to everyone. It's turned to himself. Now, now here's why that matters to me. Here's what I like about this. Here's the person writing this psalm. He's saying, everyone, we need to praise God. Which, right, you can see a pastor going off on that for a few moments. But then he says, wait, no, Fayez, me, you, listen to me, soul. It's almost like this sermon he's preaching to himself. You're going to worship God. That's what he's doing right there. You, you worship God with passion and energy and, and truth. You get after worshiping God, Fayez. That, that's what the psalmist just did. He said, everyone, let's worship. And you, Fayez's heart, that's easy to grow dull. 
your heart that's easy to forget, I'm going to remind my soul, you worship God. You, You do this and you do it right now. And you ask God to do a work in your heart. You will not sit there passionless and worship God. Do you know why that's good news to me? Because I think sometimes when we look at the Bible, we see these commands to worship, and we think it's like this switch that I can just flip on, right? Like, it's almost like David was in this constant state of worship, where everything was great and everything was good. Or, well, I would say Jesus. Jesus wasn't a constant state of worship, but, but for the rest of us who aren't perfect, like, here's the thing that's happening. It's this awesome picture that a soul needs to be reminded to worship God. You need to remind yourself You need to preach to yourself because your heart will not always want to. It will drift. It will wander. And when that happens, you got to get after it. You got to learn to preach to yourself. You need to be as good of a preacher as I am when it comes to preaching to yourself. That might be an awful illustration. Be a better preacher than me. Goodness, for heaven's sake, please preach better than I do. Preach to yourself. Get after yourself. Tell your heart to worship God. Don't let it go dry or dull. And he says, listen, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And then he says this, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He's saying, for my whole life, I'm going to praise God. That's what I'm going to do. Not, and he also says, while I still have being. He's saying, listen, while I exist, while I have breath, while I'm still alive, I'm always going to praise God. I, I love the fact he doesn't say, while things are good and comfortable. Well, while things are happy. He doesn't say, hey, when there's not a pandemic, when there's not riots happening around me, then I'll praise God. He says, no, I'm going to praise God all of my life as long as I have been. Church, that's, that's what our hearts bent should be towards worship. It should be passionate. We should preach to ourselves, and it should be happening all the time, regardless of what's happening around us. We should always be preaching to ourselves in the middle of difficult times. And listen, when he says worship, I don't think he means singing. I think he means living where all of your life is worshiping God. Spurgeon said this about this psalm. While I live, I'll love, and while I breathe, I'll bless. It's convenient when you're wearing masks and it's difficult to breathe, right? While I breathe, I will bless. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to love him. As long as I'm breathing, I'm going to bless him. That's the heart of Christianity. And I want to encourage all of you, in the midst of injustice and riots and whatever is happening around us, you need to hear this. We still worship. We still worship when the world is on fire around us. We still worship. We still worship when we're frustrated at what's happening around us. We still worship when we're convicted of what's happening around us. We still worship when we have to wear masks. We still worship when we have to be isolated. We still worship no matter what's happening around us. How do we do that? Or why do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at the next verse. Verses 3 and 4. He says this. Um, He's about to set up what we don't worship and who we do worship. Here's, here's what he says. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So he's saying, we're going to worship. We're always going to worship. Fires, you worship your whole life as long as you have breath. And we don't worship because there's good rulers. We don't worship because there's a good political party in charge. We don't worship because the prince has a plan. Do you know why? 
Because the prince one day is going to die, and the moment he dies, the moment he loses breath, all of his plans and all of his plotting and scheming, it's all going to go away. It stops with him. We, we don't worship because we have confidence that our government will get it right. Right? I, I thought I would get an amen out of that one, but maybe not, okay? That, that's not what causes us to worship. We don't worship just because we think we will get it right. Our hope in worship is not that people around us and society is great. We worship for a different reason. And here's what I don't want you to hear. I do not want you to hear that we don't want godly politicians doing godly laws and trying to fix things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they're not ultimate. They're not ultimate. The government will get it right and the government will get it wrong. Our city officials will get it right, and our city officials will get it wrong. Your boss will get it right, and your boss will get it wrong. You will get it right, and you will get it wrong. But none of those things are what cause us to worship. None of those things are ultimate. They come, they go. Your plans will fail. One day we will all fail. We will breathe our last, and all the effort we put forth and all the plans we have will fail. But worship keeps going. And look at this. So if we don't worship because of that, why do we worship? I mean, if that's not ultimate, what causes us to worship? You should know the answer to this. This isn't rocket science. Look at verse 5. It said, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. I love this right here. He's saying, listen, we don't worship because the prince has got a good plan. That makes me feel at ease. We worship because God is our helper. He's my help. He's my confidence. That's the one that I'm sitting there saying, listen, here's why I worship. I don't worship because things are convenient or good. I don't worship because everything's right. I don't worship because the government is listening or not listening. I worship because God is my help. He's my help, and that causes me to worship despite what's happening around me. When he's my help, it makes me blessed and happy because I can trust God. And, and look at how it describes him. It's whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Look at verse 6. Here's how it describes God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So one, I'm about to give you 12 reasons why we worship God, okay? There's more. I'm giving you 12 out of this passage. You want to take notes? That's a whole lot of notes. But here's the 12 reasons. Reason number one, he's powerful. Right, look at that. It says, God, who's my help, he made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. I worship God because he's strong. He's stronger than the government. He's stronger than me. He's stronger than the chaos around us. He's stronger than sin. He's stronger than brokenness. He's stronger than sickness. He's stronger than death. He is stronger than everything. I worship him because he's strong and he's powerful. Look at what else it says there. Who keeps faith forever. I worship because he's faithful. Listen, it says he keeps faith forever. It doesn't mean he has confidence in me forever. It means he does what's right always. He, he keeps up his end of the deal. He keeps his promises, not for a month, not for a year, not for a hundred years, not for a thousand years. He keeps his promises forever. Listen, I worship God because he's strong. I worship God because he's always always and eternally faithful. Look at verse 7. It says this, who executes justice for the oppressed. That's who he is. It's not just what he does. 
who he is, is that when it, he looks at the oppressed, he makes sure they get justice. God cares about the oppressed, and he will execute justice for the oppressed. Look what else he does. He gives food to the hungry. It's, it's not just that he cares about oppression. And he cares about all people who are oppressed. He also cares about people who are hungry and have needs. He cares about the poor and the needy. Listen, church, the reason I would just rush through these two is these two things, that he fights oppression and that he's kind to the poor and the weak and the needy. That verse right there is probably the best picture in the Psalms of what God means when he says justice. He talks about defending the oppressed and feeding the poor. When the Old Testament thinks about justice, it doesn't just think a one-sided thing of it's the judge saying guilty. When God talks about justice, and we'll unpack this in future weeks, what he means is he executes the guilty, he defends the weak, and he feeds the poor, and he meets the needs of widows and orphans. He protects the vulnerable. That's who God is. And that's why we praise him. Listen, I want to put this in perspective for you. This is backwards to ancient deities. This is the complete opposite. In Old Testament times and even in New Testament times, when they talked about God, whatever their version of God was, their version of God was this. He was strong and he was powerful and he was on the side of the elite. He was on the side of the king and the rulers and the army and on the side of the priest. He was not on the side of the oppressed. Like when people talked about the deities, like Baal and stuff like that, it was like, listen, don't mess with the king because Chemoth or whatever his name is, he's on the king's side. Don't mess with the priest because that God is on the priest's side. Like you mess with the priest, you mess with that God, and now he's going to come after you, right? You don't mess with the rulers and the powerful and the rich because that God is on their side. He protects them. But the God of the Bible protects the weak, the innocent, and the oppressed, He's, listen, he's for the outcast. It's the exact opposite of all the versions of God that were peddled during that day. Listen, you need to hear this. We worship God because he fights oppression for everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been. It doesn't matter your race, your background, your upbringing. It doesn't mean the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what your parents did. He fights oppression for everyone. He feeds the poor. Listen, I love this. Like when I look at that, like doesn't that make you want to worship God more? That he gives food to the hungry? Like he says, he said, listen, if these people are hungry, I want to give them food. He's compassionate. Doesn't that make you want to sing his praise forever? Like he's not just strong. He defends the, he defends the, he fights for the oppressed and he's kind and gives food to the hungry. Look at verse seven at the very end of it. He says this. He says, the Lord sets the prisoners free. That word prisoners means people who are bound. Now listen, that, that means a whole bunch of people. That means people who've been captured in war. That means people who are bound as slaves. That means people who are prisoners because they've committed wrong. That means people who are innocently condemned in prison and people who are guiltily imprisoned, right? It means anyone that's bound. And one of the things about God is this. He does not want men and women to sit and rot in jail. He wants to set us free. 
He's merciful. Like everyone, listen, he's merciful. It doesn't mean he doesn't condemn the guilt. It doesn't mean he wants no punishment, but he's merciful. Listen, that should make us all happy because all of us, he's shown all of us mercy. If he was just, there would be no gospel. If he was just just and there was no mercy, there would be no gospel. If he always executed the guilty, we would all be on death row. But he's not just just, he's also merciful. Man, that's good news for me. If it's not good news for you, I'm sorry, you need to wake up because it's good news that he's merciful, man. This is who he is. He, he sets the prisoners free. Look at verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Isn't that awesome? That he wants to heal people? I mean, I need you to think about who Jesus is with every single one of the, these things that we just read. Think about his life on earth and how he did ministry. Man, did he not heal the blind all the time? This is who God is. He cares about the sick, the blind, the people who are sick in a way that will cause them to be beggars and they're needy. And he cares about the most insignificant among us. Listen, if you feel insignificant, I need you to hear this. He cares about you. You feel oppressed, he cares about you. You feel hungry and you need something, he cares about you. Listen, he cares deeply about those of us that are on the outskirts, that are weak and needy, he cares about that. And we should worship him for that. But there's more. The, Lord's lift, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. It's almost this picture of someone who's got this heavy weight on their shoulder and it's weighing them down and it's crushing them. And he says, listen, I want to, help you get up. You ever felt that in life? Listen, man, life can whoop you. It can, it can drop you to your knees and it doesn't matter how strong you are. There's always a burden that you can't handle. And he comes on and says, I want to help you get up. That's who God is. He wants the people crushed with the weight of life, even their own bad decisions and sin. He wants to take that load off of you to help you get up. That's who he is, church. That's why we worship him. We don't worship him because we're clean and everyone else is dirty. We worship him because we're dirty and he's a God that takes that load off of us and onto himself so we can get up. That's why we sing praises to him. That's who our God is. Look at what else he does. The Lord loves the righteous. Now, if you know the gospel, the Bible says there's no one that's righteous. No, not one. So, so that means he loves no one, only the perfect? Well, no, that's not it. Here's what it means. Here's how you become righteous. You place your trust in Jesus. That you cannot make yourself righteous and he cleans you and makes you righteous and then he loves you. Listen, he loves you. If you are in Christ, you know this today, regardless of your performance or regardless of the things that you've messed up or the things you've gotten right, he loves you. Like he, he looks at you with favor and affection and a smile. He's pleased with you when you are in Jesus. Look at verse 9. In case you're wondering, this is number 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. If I were to translate that, that's immigrant. Now, that's a big deal in Jewish society, right? Think about that. He's talking to Jews. 
who are God's chosen people, and he says he watches over the outsiders who aren't Jews that are in them among the people, the Gentiles, the outcast, the immigrant, the filthy, dirty, unclean, uncircumcised people who probably grew up in idolatry. And the Bible says God is watching over them. He cares about the immigrant and the outcast. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Listen, I think this is awesome that God supports the vulnerable. It says that he upholds. It means he's caring for and he will fight when it is the right time, but he will fight for those people. These last three, the stranger or the immigrant, the widow and the orphan. That, again, that's all backwards to who a God should care about. But he does. Number 11, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin at the end of verse 9 there. Listen, he will fight. He's going to wreck the wicked. When you see unrighteous people who are oppressing or living in sin, we may not see it already, but God will fight them and he will go after them. And he will bring justice to it all. He will wreck the way of the wicked. Listen, that's awesome. I love it. And then finally in verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. It's, it's not just that he's all these things, that he's powerful, he's faithful, he fights oppression, he's kind and gives food to the hungry, he's merciful, he heals, he helps, he loves, he watches the immigrant, he supports the vulnerable, he fights the wicked. It's that this God that is strong in all of those things, he will rule forever. He's not weak and unable to deal with all these things. And so, church, here's, here's what I want you to hear today. Here's, as you read all of those things, I want you to hear this, that our God is a big, strong, faithful, kind, merciful God. He fights oppression. He defends the weak. That's what he does, and that's what his people should do. And he will reign forever. Let me put it this way. He's actually reigning right now. He has not lost control. And as we begin to wade into conversations about justice, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wade in with a confidence that he is good and kind and merciful and in charge. We're going to wade in with a trust that he can actually do something about this. We're going to wade in that he has the right to say what is right and wrong. We're going to wade in with worship and hope that he can fix what's broken even in ourselves. That's how we're going to wade into a topic of justice, with the confidence that there's a God who is merciful and strong. I want to wrap it up with one little word picture for you, and I hope this helps. I'm trying to think through ways to kind of lay this out. Um, the picture that kept coming to my mind was what it's like to be a father, okay? Um, now listen, one of the adjustments of fatherhood for me was taking my kids to the playground. I don't, I, I don't know if you remember playgrounds before coronavirus, but there's these places we used to go that had swings and slides and other kids. It's a place you go to get the stomach bug um, or coronavirus. We, we don't go to those places anymore because we're masked up. But, but listen, one of the adjustments that happened for me as a new father, when I would take my first son to a playground, there was this, this thing I never planned on. It was the other kids on the playground, right? Uh, now, parents, you may know where I'm going with this one. Like, have you ever had that moment 
Well, your kid is playing your sweet, precious little angel, and then someone else's little devil child comes running up to your son or your daughter, right? Mom's on a cell phone or wherever. I don't know what she's doing. And that kid takes something from your kid or pushes your kid down, not accidentally, just out of spite, right? Any parents at all? Man, it's really tough to preach to a mass crowd. You need to know. Y'all need to pray for me because it is hard. Um, Like, it's that moment. What happens in you is you're a parent and you watch your little baby, maybe not a baby, but get thumped by some bully or some jerk on the playground. You feel this thing well up in you. Like, you better look out because Papa, Papa's about to Papa right here in this thing. I'm about to start spanking kids. I'm about to start chewing out. I don't spank other people's kids in the playground. That's a, a bad idea. But you're about to go crazy Papa Bear on them, right? Like, that's what's going to happen. You mess with my kid and things are going to go crazy, right? And, and one of the things that, that happened one time, I think I've shared this with you all before. We were at a Chick-fil-A one time, and I think we only had two, a four-year-old and a two-year-old at the time, and we were playing in the Chick-fil-A playground, and there was a kid there with special needs, Right now, I think we were the only parents apart from the dad of this kid with special needs that was in the playground. All the other parents were doing what parents do. They were enjoying their chicken sandwich and peace and quiet. And it was loud and wild and rambunctious in that playground. And uh, the the kid with special needs came in, um, and he's trying to play in the playground. He's trying to be nice and sweet. He was probably four. I don't remember how old he was. But, But the other kids started making fun of him. And not like in a nice way. Like he would come down the slide and they would like, look at his face, look at his face. <laughs> like that. And they would try to scare him to get him to make a face. Listen, uh, what happened in that moment in me was what I think happens in the heart of God when he sees the weak and the vulnerable being oppressed. What happens in your heart when you hear that story? And we, we had a little... I, I did go Papa Bear moment. I, well, everyone stop. Uh, there were no parents. The one, the one kid's dad was there. But I called all the kids together. And we said, we, we don't do that to people. That's, that's not what we do. You're not going to make fun of him. You're not going to tease him because God made him different. Listen, I was ready to go out and start I almost stood up. I wanted to stand up on a chair outside that Chick-fil-A and start preaching to every parent. Let me tell you what your little devil children just did in the the Chick-fil-A playground. Uh, I didn't because what ended up happening is the dad started crying because the dad just said to us, he's like, he's going to, this is going to be the rest of his life. And it was almost like that dad, I I don't know that he'd had another parent stand up for his kid. He was kind of just, watching it there, um, but we stepped in. And listen, I think in that moment, we stepped in because we were representing God the Father, that he cares about the weak and the oppressed. And it was a reminder for my wife and I of all the times we've crossed the line in that area. I felt like my own sin was exposed. The time for me as a child and a teenager and even as an adult, I would, I would say things that would make fun of people with special needs. And it brought this fresh sense of repentance of things that were in me that I'd forgotten about. And it brought this moment to represent God. And I think that father felt loved. And I don't know if that boy felt loved. I think all the kids felt a little rebuked. But I think they all felt this moment that what we did is we stood and we represented God the Father. And church, when it comes to justice, we get to represent God the Father.
and we get to worship through this. And I don't know the right way forward on everything, but I know this. God cares about justice. He cares about the oppressed. He cares about the weak, and he cares about mercy. He cares about all of those things. So today, would you worship him for being all of those things? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm just going to give you a moment right there in your seat. I just want you to um, ask God. Ask God if there's anything he's convicting you of where you just feel like, you know what, I think he convicted me of not caring about the weak, the poor, and the oppressed. Ask him if he convicted you, repent.
remember that as you go forward from here. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you. And God, I pray as we wade into this difficult conversation about justice, God, I pray that we would do so in worship, that we would worship you and not forget who you are in the midst of this. And God, I pray not only that we would worship, but that we would trust that you are good and that your gospel can change things. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, it's been good to be with you today. One of the things we're changing because we are masked up, if you will, is that we're not going to dismiss you one row at a time. Uh, I've really enjoyed worshiping today. We've tried to keep it shorter. Let me just say this. Uh, if you're visiting, I would love to get a chance to meet you. I'll put a mask on. We'll be down front. If you need to speak with one of our pastors, you can either stay in your seat or be down front. But I pray as you leave here today, you would leave here knowing this, not only that God is just, but that he cares about the oppressed and the poor and the outcast, and that we can worship him because of that. I pray you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.